Well, good morning, everybody, and happy Easter to you all. If you've got a Bible, would you turn with me to the book of John? And it's John chapter 20. And as you're looking up the passage this morning, can I just take a few moments to say a big thank you to you as a church for having Joanne and myself and the girls here over the past seven months. I want to thank the leadership for allowing us to come and to undertake this placement here. To you all as members and adherents, people who come along to this church, for making us so welcome and just your warm uh, greetings to us. Joanne wanted me to stress, especially to the ladies in the Good Book Club. She's really enjoyed that and made some great friendships through there. I think she plans to continue to attend that even after we have headed back to Newton Breda um, Baptist. So I want to say a big thank you. And particularly I want to thank David for his time and uh, just what he shared with me and just for just the advice he's given me. So a big thank you on behalf of myself and the whole other clan as well. We really will remember you uh, as we head back to Newton Breda Baptist next week. But today is a great day. It's a great day to come to church. Now don't get me wrong. Every Sunday is a great Sunday to come to church, but there's something special about today. And I think that's even been noticeable as we've been singing these songs. Just the gusto. I don't know the technical term again that David described that at the start. Just how we've joined together as a corporate group just to sing these praises today on Easter Sunday. And uh, there are three words as we come to John 20 that I want to think particularly about. Jesus is alive. That's why we're here this morning on Easter Sunday. Those three words make a big difference. Jesus is alive. That's why we're here this morning. We'd be wasting our time if it wasn't for the fact that Jesus is alive. Those three words change everything, change everything in the world. They should change our hearts. Jesus is alive. And as we read through here in John 20, we get an historical account. That's what John sets out here, an historical account of the resurrection. We're going to read the entire chapter. There's 31 verses. I make no apologies whatsoever for reading 31 verses. This is the word of God. These are the only fully inspired words you'll hear today. So let's take the time and read this great account. So starting at verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separated from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still didn't understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, and at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned round and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. 
Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that, she had said, that he had said these things to her. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so reads God's word. Jesus is alive. That's the truth that changes everything. And on Friday we were thinking about Good Friday. And David touched upon this on Friday night. What is it that makes Good Friday good? And when you think of it, it doesn't seem that way. There was betrayal. There was injustice. There was cruelty and there was murder. What's good about Good Friday? And as David shared with us on Friday night, we saw the real truth. It wasn't what the people did to Jesus Christ. It was what God was doing on that day. When God's holy wrath and judgment was poured upon his son as he took our place, dying in our place for our sins. It's what Jesus Christ did on that day which made Good Friday good. It's the most significant day in the history of the world. But if the Friday was good, the Sunday was even better. Now don't get me wrong. I've just said that the Friday was the most significant day in the history of the world. What Jesus Christ did on the cross. But the Sunday was better because it's the Sunday that gives the Friday its significance. You see, if Jesus Christ had stayed in a tomb, what he did on the Friday would have been pointless. Here's a verse the Apostle Paul said in the book of 1 Corinthians. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. If Jesus has stayed in the tomb, your faith is useless. Jesus Christ is a saviour. Can a man who died 2,000 years ago, who's still in the tomb, do anything for you? A dead saviour is of no use to us as we sit here in the month of April in 2011. It's the Sunday that makes the difference. The fact that Jesus is alive. And here's a quotation that you'll find in our E100 book. If you look up the section on John 20, it says these words. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the linchpin of the Christian faith. It's the linchpin of the Christian faith. And then it goes on. 
hopefully. If you eliminate that, as many have tried, everything falls apart. Take away Easter Sunday, everything falls apart. And here in John chapter 20, we discover three groups of friends. And for them, their world is falling apart, or so it seems. And it's falling apart because they believe that their friend Jesus Christ is dead. And not only is he dead, his body has gone. And these three words, Jesus is alive, is what transforms everything. And the first person we meet in this passage is Mary. And as we come across Mary, you could describe her with this word, distress. That's what she's in. She's in complete distress. This is Mary Magdalene, a lady whose life had been changed by Jesus Christ. She had had numerous demons in her that Christ had expelled. She was Mary Magdalene who stood at the cross. I'm sure she wept on that good Friday as she looked at her close friend, her Savior and her Lord, hanging there on the cross. And then Jesus' body was taken down and haste it was buried. And so on the Sunday, Mary and some other ladies, who are not mentioned in John's account, but are mentioned in the other Gospels, come to the tomb. And they come to the tomb to show their love. They bring spices to anoint his body and to say a proper farewell. And when they get there, Mary discovers that the tomb is empty. And that's what leads to her great distress. She's great from the Friday and now it's distress. And so she goes and tells Peter and John, the other disciple, in verse 2. And they return to the tomb and discover also that it's empty. And Mary also returns. And in verse 11 it says, she wept. You can just picture the scene. This broken, grieving lady standing there in her distress, weeping outside the tomb. Jesus, the one who had transformed her life, the one she loved, was dead, and now his body is gone. And she looks inside this tomb and she sees two angels. Now their presence, she shows that something is different here. And she asks them, see that, they ask her a question, Woman, why are you crying? Why are you in such distress? Now the angels don't solve the mystery for her. They don't tell her where the body has gone. But their presence should be telling in itself. Their presence should show that this is no ordinary occurrence. It's not likely that robbers have stolen the body. And she turns round and Jesus is behind her. Now she doesn't recognize Jesus. You might think that's strange. Why does she not recognize the one she loves, her good friend, Jesus Christ? It could be because of the tears in her eyes. It could be because she doesn't expect to see Jesus there. It could be because the risen Jesus has, there's something different about his presence. Think about the two on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24. Jesus walked with them through the journey and they didn't realize who it was. We're not sure why she didn't recognize him. But again, he asked her that question, why are you crying? And she asked him, well, if you know where his body is, can you tell me where they've taken Jesus? And then he says one word, Mary. And when he says that one word, Mary, she recognizes the voice. She realizes it is. And that one word, Mary, confirms three words to Mary. It confirms that Jesus is alive. And in verse 16, she cries out again. But this time, she doesn't cry out in distress. She cries out in joy. Because the truth that Jesus is alive turns her distress to joy. And then in verse 16, she says, Rabboni, teacher. She realizes who Jesus Christ is. One word changes everything. It changes her world and transforms her life. And in her joy, 
she embraces Jesus. Just picture that scene again as he embraces the one she's loved, the one she believes he had lost previously. And then in verse 17, we read some strange words. Jesus said to her, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Don't hold on to me. Now, why did he say those words to her? Now, there's a number of possible reasons. Scholars will suggest different possible suggestions why she wasn't allowed to hold on to them. We don't have time this morning to look at the different possibilities. And they are only suggestions. The scripture doesn't give us a definite reason. If you want to find out more about those, pick up a good commentary, and they will outline the different reasons that are given why she isn't allowed to hold on to Jesus at this point. But he does tell her to go and do something else. Go and tell my brothers. Go and tell them the good news. And so off she goes to tell them. She tells them that Jesus is alive. And I think it's really interesting what we read here in verse 17. He says, go off and tell my brothers. And he says, I am returning to my father and your father, to my God and your God. See the personal relationship that's stressed there? Jesus says, it's my father and it's your father. It's my God and it's your God. There's a personal relationship stress there. And what is it that makes that personal relationship possible? It's the fact that Jesus is alive. What he did on the cross on the Friday and the fact that he's risen again. And as we sit here over 2,000 years later, we have that possibility of a personal relationship. We can say, my Father and my God, through what Jesus did on the cross and the fact that Jesus is alive. Those are three words that change everything and let's think about Mary as well here's a lady who's in distress and the fact of a risen saviour turns that distress to joy and what about you this morning as you sit here in our congregation could your life be described by that word distress perhaps as people have come in here this morning and asked you the good old Northern Ireland question how are you you probably came with the good old Northern Ireland answer I'm fine. I'm okay. And maybe as we've been singing these songs real gusto this morning, you've been singing them with your mouth, but inside you haven't felt like singing them. Because your life is described by this word, distress. Now obviously the distress that you may feel this morning is different from the distress that Mary felt that resurrection Sunday before she discovered the living Christ. Maybe there's something personal in your life. Maybe it's a health issue. Perhaps it's a relationship issue, a family stress, a work struggle. And as you sit here this morning, you are in distress. But there are three words that can change everything. The truth that Jesus is alive. This morning, we're not reading about what we're not singing to a dead saviour. We're singing to a living saviour. And not only is he a living saviour, he's a loving saviour. He's a loving saviour who's alive today and he's interested in the small details of our lives. And the first time I stood in this church and spoke was back in October. And it was a family service. We were working through the story of Joseph. And that day with the children sitting in front, I taught them a promise from the Bible. A promise that's repeated time and time and time again. And I taught it to the children using the four fingers and the thumb on their hand because it's five words. And it's a promise that a living and a loving saviour gives. He says... I will be with you. Maybe you're sitting here in distress this morning. A living Savior can make a difference in your life. A living Savior says, I will be with you. 
He doesn't promise to take us out of the struggles and the trials of our life. But he does promise to go with us. And because of a living, loving Savior this morning, he's the one who can turn distress into joy. Real joy. The fact that Jesus is alive can change everything. But the next group of people we come across in the passage are the disciples, starting in verse 19. And the word to describe the disciples is fear. They're in a room and the doors are locked for fear of the Jews. The Jewish leaders had killed their friend Jesus previously and they might be next. And the thought of that brings us fear on. And the Bible tells us here in John 20 that Jesus came and he stood in the room. Now it doesn't tell us how he appeared in the room. But the implication with the locked doors is that something miraculous has happened. And he comes in and he says, peace be with you. Shalom, that Hebrew greeting. And the fact that he has appeared in the room, the fact that he has spoken to them, is proof indeed that Jesus is alive. And you can see the change happen dramatically in verse 20. It says the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And then in verse 21, Jesus gives them a commission. He says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. I want you to go out and continue my ministry. Not to stay in this room with the doors locked in fear, but I want you to go out into the world because I am going to be going back to my Father. And I am commissioning you to continue my ministry here on earth. And I'm not going to leave you alone. Although I will be going to my Father, I'm going to equip you. And I'm going to equip you with the Holy Spirit. So in verse 22 he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Now again, these are much debated verses. What exactly does that mean? Because we think with the Holy Spirit coming, we think of Acts 2 and the day of Pentecost. So what happened here? And again, scholars will give many different suggestions. Some might think it's a promise. A promise of what's going to happen when the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost. Perhaps it's a partial anointing of the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's a full anointing and what happened on Acts 2 is a different kind of anointing of the Holy Spirit. Again, these are suggestions. But what we do know is that Jesus is alive and he's turned their fear into something completely different, into courage. And how do we know that that transformation happened? We'll read the book of Acts. Because in the book of Acts, you don't find a group of men sitting in a room with the doors locked. You find a group of men out on the streets, preaching, speaking face to face with these Jewish leaders who they'd feared previously. And so with this commission, with the gift of the Holy Spirit, with this fact that Jesus is alive, they have a message to share with people. If Jesus is dead, there's no message to communicate. But the truth that Jesus is alive changes everything. And so these people went out into the book of Acts as we read about and they spread the message of a living saviour. And as you sit here this morning, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're one of his followers, you also have the same commission. You have been sent out to share the greatest message in the world, that Jesus is alive and people can have a personal knowledge of a living saviour. But maybe as you sit here and you think about this great commission to share the greatest message in the world, not just to sing about it here in a church building, but to communicate it outside the walls of these churches, to be that church without walls. Maybe as you think about that commission, you're a bit like the disciples at the start. You're gripped by fear. 
The thought of going back into your home this afternoon and sharing the true Easter message with people in your home might grip you with fear. But what about your neighbours? The people who are maybe washing their car today or will head off to Tesco shortly for a shop and have no time for a risen saviour. What about the people you work with? The people you come in contact with? The thought of sharing Christ with them, does that grip you with fear? Well, the truth that Jesus is alive should make a difference. Jesus was victorious. And we have a real and a living and a transforming message to share with people. Not have been a philosophy, not an opinion, but a truth that everybody needs to know. And God has also promised that Holy Spirit to come to help us, to guide us. We have a message to share. And there are billions of people, and I do not exaggerate when I said there are billions of people who do not know that message. There are billions of people who will wake up today with no knowledge of Jesus Christ and the truth that he is a living saviour. They do have no knowledge that Jesus, the living saviour, is the only one who can save and transform their lives. And we should be gripped not by fear, but with courage to go out and share this truth. If we really believe that Jesus is alive, we should have that hunger and that desire to communicate it. The good news of the gospel. But the good news is only good news to people if they hear about it. I'll say that again. The good news is only good news to people if they hear about it. And so this truth, if we really believe that Jesus is alive, should compel us to go out and share the greatest truth the world needs to hear, that Jesus is alive. And then we come to a third person, Thomas. And Thomas can be described by this word, unbelief. Now verse 24 tells us that when Jesus appeared to this group of disciples, Thomas wasn't there. We're not told why he wasn't there. But when he meets up with the disciples, they tell him this great truth. We have seen the Lord. Jesus is alive. But he doesn't believe it. Perhaps in his mind he thinks, this is impossible. I haven't encountered this before. I'm not going to believe this truth. Even though you're giving me, even though you're eyewitnesses to this truth, I'm not going to believe your evidence. I don't believe that Jesus is alive. And then he says, unless I see, unless I see the nail prints in his hands and the wound in his side, I'm not going to believe that Jesus is alive. And a week later, he gets that chance. Because a week later, as they're met in the same room, Jesus appears and he gives them the invitation. He says, come on, Thomas, take your hand, take your finger and put it in the wounds, in my hands and in my side. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us if he actually took up that invitation. But when he saw the living Savior, when he saw the risen Christ with his own eyes, he believed. Jesus had said that to him. He said, stop doubting and believe. But when he saw the visual proof, the evidence of Christ in front of him, he believed that Jesus was alive. And he responds with a fantastic response. He says in verse 28, My Lord and my God. When he sees the living Savior, not only does he believe that Jesus is alive, but this evidence is proof that not only is Jesus alive, but he's dead. My Lord and my God. Gee, the fact that Jesus was standing there made a big difference. It changed everything. Now, Thomas had a wonderful privilege. What a privilege it would have been to have been in that room, standing face to face with the risen Savior. 
And when he saw that risen Savior, it made the big difference in his life. It turns his unbelief into belief. Now, we don't have the same privilege. These events happened 2,000 years ago. And 40 days after Jesus rose from the dead, he ascended up into heaven. We will not have the chance, as Thomas had, with our own eyes to see the visual evidence that Jesus is alive. But Jesus actually uttered a blessing. A blessing at this point that we read about in verse 29. He said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Speaking about people just like us. People who would never have that privilege of seeing a risen Savior. Blessed are those people who have not seen and yet have believed. And we're told then in the next verses, verses 30 and 31, that's the purpose of the book. That's why John wrote all these things, not just in chapter 20, but all the things that are included in all 21 chapters of the book. So let's read verses 30 and 31. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. We don't have visual evidence, but what we do have in this book is written evidence. Written evidence by people who were there and saw the fact that Jesus is alive with their own eyes. And so it's recorded as written evidence, as written proof for people of every age. People just like us. Proof that Jesus is the Son of God. That Jesus is alive. And it's written down here so that we may believe. And not only we may believe, that we may have life in Jesus' name. A dead man can't give you any life, but a living Savior can. And that's why these words are recorded in Scripture. And so Thomas was somebody who moved from unbelief to belief. And in this church, there are many people, I'm sure, who have encountered the living Jesus. No, they haven't seen Jesus with their own eyes, but in their own lives and in their own circumstances, they could come up to the front here and testify to everybody in the church that Jesus is alive because you have encountered Jesus in your life. But perhaps you're here this morning and you're not a Christian. John wrote this book for people like you, people like Thomas who don't believe, that you may believe and put your belief in a living Savior and in his name you may have life. And if you're not a Christian here this morning, If you've been singing these songs but they're meaningless to you because you don't have that personal relationship with a living Savior, this morning you can turn. What a Sunday to turn. Resurrection Sunday. To turn from your sin and turn to a living Savior. One who can transform your life. Become one of his followers. Today, turn to a living Savior and have new life. Resurrection life that comes through Jesus Christ himself. But as we finish this morning, let's think about these three words. Not just words, but biblical truth. That Jesus is alive. That truth changes everything. For Mary, it turned her distress into joy. For the disciples, it turned their fear into courage. And for Thomas, it turned his unbelief into belief. It changes everything. And praise God this morning that Jesus is alive alive. And what we're going to do now is we're going to take a few moments of silence. And a few moments of silence to respond to this wonderful truth that Jesus is alive. Perhaps you're here this morning and the word distress describes you. 
in your life and the circumstances. This will give you an opportunity to turn to a living Savior, a loving Savior, one who cares about you and one you can bring your distress to. Perhaps this morning, as you thought about this great commission to go out and share, this great message of a living Savior, you're still gripped with fear. Take this time to respond to come to a living Savior and ask for the courage to go out today and the rest of the week and the rest of the lives and share the greatest message in the world. Or perhaps you're somebody who's marked by unbelief. This gives you a chance to respond, to come to a living Savior, to have your life transformed and to experience new life. Or maybe this might just give you an opportunity to respond and praise God for the truth that Jesus is alive. Let's take a few moments. Dear Father, we praise you this morning that the tomb is empty and your son Jesus Christ is alive. We thank you we have a reason to be here today because of the resurrection. And we thank you that everything changes because your son Jesus Christ is alive. That our faith is not useless or pointless or meaningless. And we pray today, Lord, that we would have a real sense and understanding of our resurrected life. And Lord God, as we leave here today, we wouldn't just have thoughts of good singing, but we would live our lives in the light of this truth that Jesus is alive. Bless us, we pray, in Jesus Christ's wonderful name. Amen.